0: Welcome back, dear listener. We are up to episode 93. It's the 26th of April, 2017. I am the Iron Fist. With me, the Velvet Gloves. Scott, you're looking well. Thank you,
1: Trevor. How's yourself?
0: (laughs) I'm going quite well.
1: (laughs) That's good. I'm pleased to hear that. Mm.
0: Oh, Scott, the gift that keeps on giving has has, (laughs) has given
1: yet again this week for us. She has given yet again, hasn't she? You know, Yasmin... Abdil Majid. Yep. Yep. Sorry, I cut you off. What were you going to say? Well, just tell people what she's done. Okay, she's done something rather stupid on Facebook the other morning, the morning of Anzac Day. She put up there, uh, "Lest we forget," and then open brackets, Manus, Nauru, Syria, Palestine. Mm. But then deleted the post after being slammed by her followers. <laughs> yes. Uh, The host of ABC's 24 Saturday Morning Australia-wide quickly amended the post to simply say, lest we forget, and issued an apology. It was brought to my attention that my last post was disrespectful, and for that I unreservedly apologise. You know, what was linked to this was the uh, video footage of her and Jackie Lambie going at each other's hammer and tongs. Mm. And what I found was incredible with this was She's lived in Australia since she was 18 months old or something like that.
0: Yes.
1: And she's 26, I believe it was. Yes. She's lived lived here for more than 25 years.
0: Yeah.
1: Anyway, in that time, you'd think that one of the things that would brush off on you just a little bit is the reverence Australians generally feel for Anzac Day and Anzacs and that sort of thing. And you would think to yourself, geez... I'd better keep my mouth shut today, you know? <laughs> but God, clearly she didn't. In your, in, your, in your own words, you've hit the nail on the head here.
0: <laughs> this is a... Like, you know, everybody makes a actually... mistake. Yeah, exactly. And, and in the scheme of things, you know, it, it's it's not such a big thing, except if you pride yourself on somebody being so sensitive to cultural matters and cultural Mm -hmm. sensitivities and you've lived in a country for 26 years and you haven't picked up that that we get a bit touchy about Anzac
1: Day I mean I mean Anzac Day is Australia's secular Christmas day it is the um it's probably the the one uh public holiday that people actually take seriously Mm. You know, it is um, it is crazy that she said what she said.
0: Yeah. So I think yeah. she was saying um, possibly two things. Because, okay, lest we forget, Manus, Nauru, Syria, Palestine. I mean, what what is being said there? And I think that she could be saying, Dear Australian and New Zealanders, today... Uh, just remembering our soldiers is not good enough. I mean, that is a valid interpretation of, of what she's saying, is that today on Anzac Day, just remembering the usual isn't enough. Got to remember this other stuff. Okay, um, fair enough,
1: yeah. Hmm. which
0: Which is, well... Can't we just have one day for soldiers? I mean, this, this
1: is the whole. This is how the
0: world works. We have certain days to remember certain. We have birthdays to remember our birthday. We have Christmas mm. Day to remember the birth of Christ or whatever. But mm. you know, we have events for reason that we say we're going to focus on a particular issue on this day. You know, perfectly natural thing to do. Why do you just have to butt in and say, oh, no, you know, you've also got to think about my favourite hobby horse at the same time. It's so selfish and unnecessary. Um,
1: the other it thing really that she was. could be saying,
0: yeah. so that's, you know, I think at a minimum she was saying it's not good enough just to think about our soldiers. Um, the other thing she could be saying is Australians. Because you are Australian, uh, you are guilty by association, and you should today also remember, uh, or instead remember, the people on Manus, Nauru, and in Syria and Palestine. I mean, that's the other interpretation of guilt by association. So, either one, um, for somebody who claims to be culturally sensitive, um, big mistake, so, it was a very big mistake. It was hmm.
1: bloody ridiculous, actually, that she said it. Yeah. You know.
0: And hopefully down the track, when she's on panels and interviewed and she starts pointing her finger at people for their cultural insensitivity, uh, whoever's on the receiving end can point back at this sort of incident and say, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Exactly. Yeah, I mean,
1: that is the crazy thing about it, was that, you know, she, she's, you, you're dead right, she's painted herself up as some sort of morality person, mm. and, you know, she's come around here and done that, yeah, mm. anyway.
0: The other interesting mm. side to this, Scott, I reckon, is the is the interplay of Section 18C and 18D, because, mm-hmm. on a couple of levels here, so, so one is, you know, when um, people who are defending 18C say, well, what... What insults do you want to levy that you can't levy already? What is it that you want to insult people with? And you could say, well, I'd like to insult people who uh, remember soldiers at Anzac Day and tell them I should be remembering Manus and Syria and Palestine. It's not good enough to remember soldiers. I mean, that's the sort of insult that I want people to be able to say. <laughs>
1: I've been reading a few, you know. No, she'd have a she'd have a valid defence under 18d because she was um, ah. she was mentioning it under a you um, know she was provoking a public debate on it, wasn't she?
0: Well, good question, Scott. Here we go. Um, um, 18d, um, 18c not unlawful for a thing done in good faith. Um, a in the performance exhibition or distribution of an artistic work so it would not be one of those i don't think a tweet is any of those b in the course of any statement publication discussion or debate made or held for any genuine academic artistic or scientific purpose or any other genuine purpose in the public interest i don't think it would be that so it's she's going to be, sort
1: of that, though, isn't it? Because, you know, she's just, she's just adding to the public debate on it, isn't she?
0: Well, here is where she would be relying on is subsection C. In making mm-hmm. or publishing um, a fair or accurate report of an event or matter of public interest, well, that's not the case, here's the one that she needs. A fair comment on any event or matter of public interest if the comment is an expression of genuine belief held by the person making the comment. So Andrew Bolt failed that test because the judge said, you're so slack you didn't even believe what you were writing. So Mm. he failed. So Yasmin would be saying, oh, this is a fair comment. Uh, It's an expression of a genuine belief that I held when making the comment. All right. Mm-hmm. One problem with that is, she immediately retracted it and made an apology. So Exactly, yeah. Maybe so it was it
1: wasn't it wasn't even it wasn't even um strongly held belief, was no, it? Because she retracted it, it maybe, immediately. It, maybe it wasn't genuine a belief well, when she made it. So I don't know whether or not she's I don't know whether or not she can hold herself up to be genuine because she backed away from it very, very quickly. Mm, you know? Mm. It was you know, there's mm.
0: And, you know, the other thing that she'd be uh, sort of wriggling out would be uh, under ADNC, it's got to be done, uh, an act done because of the race, colour or national or ethnic origin of a person or group. But I think you could say that this was directed at Australians. Um, So, anyway, I, of course, and when we've been looking at, uh, you know, there's been people on both sides of this latest Yasmin Abdul-Majid some of them saying it's outrageous what she's done and then other people saying what's all the fuss about and some of the people are defending her are saying um, you know all those people talking about 18c why are they you know telling her she can't say these things you know one minute they're up for free speech and then they don't want her saying these things and the answer is I do want her saying these things. She's more than welcome to say these things. Mm, it's just that absolutely. we feel fair that we can criticize her for saying it. So um mm. so yeah. So that's uh, an interesting sort of moment in in her career. So yeah. <laughs> and hopefully it will come back to haunt her and when she's put forward as an expert on sensitivities of cultures it could be shown on the. Someone she,
1: reminds her that she's not sensitive at all. No,
0: in a country that she spent twenty-six years. And also, Scott, yeah. also, according to Corey Bernardi, she boasts on her CV that she was on the centenary of Anzac committee. <laughs> at, at some stage. <laughs> So I've got Corey. Actually, Corey Bernardi has come out with some a really um, you know his weekly newsletter comes out on a Wednesday. This is quite a good one. He's, by the way, you know that they've um, Australian Conservatives have amalgamated with
1: Family First,
0: mm-hmm. so that's
1: what Corey's up to. Yeah, uh, are they calling them? Are they going under the name of Australian Conservatives or not? More, um, well, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I couldn't tell you.
0: Yeah, and he said just as an aside, that he went to an Anzac Day ceremony, and um, I'll read it here. Um, The Aboriginal elder employed to welcome us to our own country, Katrina Power, decided to welcome everyone to stolen Karuna land. She doubled down by rewriting the 23rd Psalm to say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of invasion. (laughs) Oh, God, that was that was Corey's Anzac Day ceremony. <laughs> anyway, at the yeah. end he says, uh, that doesn't mean that people like Yasmin and Katrina can't have their say, but it's up to the rest of us to let them know just how wrong they are. And that's true. And he said, a country of tribes cannot prosper. A nation is built around shared values, the rule of law, and one unifying culture. Well, I certainly agree with the bit. A country of tribes cannot prosper. So... Mm. Uh, yeah, a few, a few things to agree with with Corey. Did you go to an Anzac Day ceremony this I year? I went
1: to a, a dawn service mm. at uh, Greenslopes Private Hospital. Yep, yeah, they, they have one there every year. It was quite good. Okay, it was uh, very much a mass, but it was it was
0: it oh, wasn't too that bad. That was my yeah. next question. So, yeah, couple it of hymns? Was, no,
1: look, it, it wasn't too bad. It was there was a couple of hymns and a prayer. Right. Um, and actually, I got a photo for you that I found when I was out walking the dog the other day. There's yeah. a um, yeah. anyway. It's it's a thing that's set up in the Mount Gravatt Showgrounds. It's uh, it's a it's set up at the Centenary of ANZAC, and it is a thing that's uh, got uh, I want to say Pericles, but I don't think it's him. Anyway, there's an uh, ancient um, Greek guy. Yeah, Greek guy that's it listed in it and that sort of stuff, rather than any sort of. Uh, uh, Old Testament stuff. Ah, okay. This is
0: yeah. this is um, as part of a proposed ceremony for Anzac no, this Day. No, oh.
1: sorry. This is a. Um, I'll just find it for you because I took a photo of it while I was out walking the dog.
0: All right. While you're doing that, yeah. Keep going here. I I attended the Anzac Day one at the Gap and. There were two hymns and the local pastor got up twice uh, to give prayers and, oh, language warning, dear listener. You know, if the kiddies are there, turn down the <laughs> volume at some stage. Jeez, it gives me the shits. Just <laughs> let us pray and off he goes reading his Bible stuff and, and the references to God in the hymns and... It's such gobbledygook, empty nonsense as the 12th man and I were describing um, about something else the other day. It's such banal tripe that a few... There's such good poems out there that Mm. you could read that are secular, that actually mean something about soldiers dying in the fields. Mm. That's the sort of thing that if you really want to remember... The Anzacs and other service people is far more effective than trotting out hymns that have got nothing to do with uh, Mm. the specifics of the day we're celebrating. It just gets me. So Mm. in an iron fist government, it is item one (laughs) on the agenda is Anzac Day ceremonies being secular, Scott.
1: Yeah, hmm. exactly. Did you find that photo? No, this is his. Anzac, uh, Anzac Centenary Memorial, 1915 to 2015. Lest we forget, each has won a glorious grave, not the not the sepulchre of earth where wherein they lie, but the living tomb of everlasting remembrance wherein their glory is enshrined. And that was Pericles. There you go. Okay. Hmm. Um,
0: the other thing, dear listener, before we leave this topic is just the earlier... I've seen copies of... Uh, of well, do you call them, brochures or flyers or a running sheet of, of some of the first Anzac Day ceremonies and they had much less religion than um, than what's in them now. So if you go to some of the first Anzac Day ceremonies in Queensland, you can find them online. Um, there's very little religious stuff happening in there. It's certainly much less than there is now.
1: I think um, Australia was more secular back then.
0: We, yes, there was more respect for oh, secularism. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there was. I mean, like, there was. People were probably more religious, but there was still more secularism in our, in our governments. Indeed. Too. Yep. So
0: that's Anzac Day for another year. Um,
1: Soon we'll be complaining about the same stuff again next year. We will. Yep. We'll be rabbit <laughs> out. Unfortunately, <laughs> we will. You're dead right. <laughs> mm.
0: uh. Well, we'll get on to it later, but, Scott, well, it's, I think. There's no point changing people's mind. you know, we're just preaching to the converter and trying to change the, the minds of the ordinary person. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter. We've actually got to change the minds of people in power, but uh, we'll get back to that later. Um, yeah, exactly. Great article from Hugh, the Rational Razor. So he wrote a piece which uh, was in the AIM network and reproduced in a few different forums. Good on you, Hugh. I think Hugh might be on next week. But this one um, uh, where Hugh paints a picture of a because he was responding to the New South Wales government review on special religious education in New South Wales schools. So here's well, what's they happened spent
1: $300,000 on a comprehensive report, waited yeah. 18 months to release it just before Easter, and then refused to accept most of the recommendations. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I, I highlighted the I same know, thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's got it in there. Placating the Reverend Fred Nile and the various religious lobbies is no easy task, but the New South Wales government has taken to it with Yes Minister-style obtuseness. Yeah. You know, it is. It's So frustrating that a government is bending over backwards to accommodate Fred Nile. Yeah. Yeah. It is really, really annoying. I
0: mean, had we in New South Wales, you and I, campaigned for this and we got a commission up to look at this issue and three hundred grand was spent on it and you'd think, Great, we're actually gonna make some headway. An independent group is gonna, you know, look at the facts of the situation. And comes down with a report that actually makes some recommendations that you 'd like, and the government just says no
1: nah. no exactly it 's infuriating isn 't
0: it yep so
1: mm.
0: we 've got to do what uh, we 've got to do what our friends at the ACL do. We need a, like a secular office in Parliament house just badgering in the ear of leaders all the time and mm. uh Something might happen, I think, because mm. that's where power is, and we're just kidding ourselves. But anyway, <laughs> I, I'm, dig- I'm digressing again. Back to Hugh's <laughs> article. So Hugh gives that bit of uh, that introduction, and he basically says to these uh, the lovers of scripture classes, well, um, you know, you might think this is great, but just imagine if the shoe was on the other foot. And he paints mm. a picture of what for them would be a dystopian post apocalyptic future where, in <laughs> fact, atheists are in the majority and are quite militant about their views. And they're the ones um, providing sort of atheist lessons and uh, and everything's in reverse. So I'll pull out a few bits from what um, Hughes proposed here. Um, imagine the following inverse scenario. State governments have become... Beholden to irreligious lobby groups Atheists will band together Gather up our copies of God is not great And begin offering evangelical classes on anti-theism Classes will be deceptively marketed as educational And a benign introduction But in practice, they will be all out Hitchens-like assaults on religion (laughs) Our secular version will scare the bejesus and the Jesus out of young children You're not a teacher? Don't worry. We'll give you the anti-theism crash course, some angry YouTube videos, and a sober pep talk on the importance of brainwashing other people's children. (laughs) Bible classes have made way for supercharged anti-theism, administered with the same deceptive policies which currently fail to regulate scripture. Uh, Who approves and vets this lesson content? Answer, no one. Uh, Parents who fail to be vigilant enough to opt their children out will find them automatically enrolled into anti-theism and accidents will happen. Even devout children will suddenly find themselves being told, matter-of-factly, that there is no God. There's no (laughs) heaven or hell either, kids. And by the way, we disapprove of your superstitious parents. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? Kids will be hit-slapped with the absurdity of the Christian idea. Um... He goes on to say, supplanting current-day scripture classes, um, our classes will pillory the good book as a litany of fables and comic morality tales. Uh, We will tell people morality cannot be derived from myths. Uh, Anthropology has shown that Adam and Eve did not exist, thus original sin is bunk. Um, And I like the last bit. Uh, That will bring us to the end of term and our God is dead sombrero party. Climaxing spectacularly <laughs> with the smashing of a lolly-filled piñata of Christ the Redeemer. <laughs> oh, Hugh, that, that is good. Oh, God is dead, Sombrero Party. Oh, the day,
1: it was very good. Thank mm, you, Hugh. Good on you, Hugh.
0: Um, did you ever see... Uh, well... Eagle Rock. Are you aware of what happened? Have you ever heard of this um, Eagle Rock custom before?
1: Not until I read it today. Mm. And I was really quite surprised that, you know, you'd be able to get guys to drop their drawers in such a...
0: It didn't happen in my day either. But my son, who finished engineering about four or five years ago, said it was a common thing. And what happens, dear listener, at, at engineering balls in particular... At some stage, towards the end of the evening, they'll put on Eagle Rock, and the idea is that all the guys get up and, at some stage, drop their pants. (laughs) And it's just one of those customs. And came across this article where a residential college, at the ANU, has basically put heavy restrictions on that practice. And my initial thought was, what a bit of a mamby-pamby sort of response, but Upon further reading, this woman did describe a situation where she had been uh, on the dance floor and Eagle Rock came on and a whole bunch of guys surrounded her and her friend and dropped their pants in, in a fairly intimidating fashion. So I'm quite sympathetic to what she's got to say. And so now, you know, you can't have the Eagle Rock and do all that without, first of all, warning everybody and giving people a chance to leave the dance floor and, you know getting women and children out of the road sort of thing. So that's where yeah. we've come to. And it's just a shame some guys took it a little bit further than what it was meant to be. But there you go. What well, was a humble customer, Neil?
1: I found it a ridiculous customer. <laughs> but, you know, why you would drop your pants is beyond me. But anyway, they, um, they did that. Mm. I, I found that ridiculous. I... Two have come to the conclusion that the response was right. Yes. And that they have, you know, giving people warnings and that sort of stuff before Eagle Rock comes on. I find it incredible that you have to go that far mm. as to issue warnings to clear the dance floor yeah. because there's going to be people dropping their drawers. That's right. anyway. At some point they
0: say, guys, Eagle Rock's coming up. You're welcome yeah. to drop your pants. Please <laughs> do not surround any young ladies when you do so i mean that's Mm. we wouldn't have thought we'd had to say that last bit but you know no you wouldn't have thought so (laughs) yeah hands on your hips and get ready (laughs) (laughs) Uh, incidentally my son did go to uh did mechanical engineering at the same time as yasmin abdul majid i said was there anything remarkable about her at the time he said no not particularly so um so yeah there's a coincidence Right. Was she wearing the whole I don't know. African to, hijab or not? I don't know. I have to
1: ask. Yeah, I'll be interested to know that. I'll ask him next time. Because I, I would want to know whether or not she's just put it on in more recent times as yes. to bung it on and that sort of stuff to, to play up to it. Good question.
0: Okay, I'll yeah. ask him.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: Russia. Uh, they've, yeah. had, they've had enough of the Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, I've had enough of the Jehovah's Witnesses. But Yeah, but you wouldn't want to ban them, though, would you? No, I wouldn't. Um, no. <laughs> well, I would want to, but I wouldn't. Yeah, but you... <laughs> <laughs> just make life difficult for them, perhaps. So, um, yeah, in Russia, I don't know what it is. Maybe Putin's just got uh, had a bad experience with the j um Well...
1: Yeah, I mean, he's got very close to the Russian Orthodox Church and that sort of stuff, ah, and he that's has. Right. Um, I think I remember this? Yeah, he has. There was a thing I was watching on TV a few months ago mm. where they had talked about um, religions that were outside of Russia and that sort of stuff that were set up in Russia and that type of thing. They were talking about all the different um, uh, stranglehold that the government has put on them. Right, you know, it is. Uh, you know, for example, the Salvation Army, because it's not linked to Russian history and that type of thing, it doesn't have tax-exempt status. Right. And, yeah, so the Scientology and that sort of stuff just doesn't get a look in. That's right. Know. I think
0: Scientology might have been banned at one stage. It sounds oh, familiar. It would me. Yeah. 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 So, and there'd be some power play going on with the Russian Orthodox Church where he's got mm. some support there. That's what would be mm. going on there. But anyway, uh, they've confiscated all of the property of the church and closing down the headquarters and three hundred ninety-five local chapters. That seems like a lot. Yeah, I know.
1: That is a lot. I mean, it's um, one hundred seventy-five thousand members previously been suspended in March over alleged extremist activity. Mm. I mean, I suppose when they come knocking on your door and saying, you know, have you got time to talk about Jesus? You've got, you know, you do think to yourself, well, you know, no, I don't. You know, please take a hike but you know it's um i wouldn't go as far as to call that extremist activity
0: well uh russia changed its legal definition of extremism Mm. in 2006 removing requirements for violence or hatred but stating that incitement of religious discord as criteria which leaves the jehovah's witnesses with the same legal status as isis or nazis There we go.
1: Yeah, I did find that um, I did find that bizarre, but I understand why they've done it. Uh You know, they've um, you know I understand why the J Dubs do actually uh, break that rule. Uh You know, because they
0: can't help themselves.
1: Well, I mean, you know, the incitement of religious discord. You Uh know, the fact that they're out there knocking on people's doors saying, "Have you got time to talk about Jesus?" Well you know, they're creating religious discord. You
0: know? Well, by definition, religion creates religion's discord because it sets Absolutely. up one group as being different against exactly. the others and, yeah. and looking down yeah. upon the other group. So yeah. they'd probably yeah. all fail that test if they... Exactly, it.
1: yeah. Dear listener, not too long ago, you looked at your podcast app and saw that a new episode of the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove podcast was available to download. Did you silently think to yourself, wait, a new podcast? I like listening to those guys. If so, then you qualify as a potential donor to the podcast. Your donation will help cover some expenses, but more importantly, your donation tells the boys that they are on the right track and to keep up the good work. A dollar a show is all they ask. Go to their website at ironfistvelvetglove.com.au and click on the donations link.
0: Ah, uh, We've got a real hutch of different things here tonight, Scott. We've got a biologist... E.O. Wilson, known as the father of sociobiology, um, in a recent issue of New Scientist, um, talking about religion and saying that the Earth is suffering the death of a thousand cuts. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning biologist, warned that people had not yet realised that the tribal structure had been destroying the planet by a thousand cuts. Well, Mr. Wilson, we've recognised it and we're busy doing our best here on this podcast and we agree with you. It is a death by a thousand cuts. Um, all the ideologies and religions have their own answers for the big questions, but they are usually bound as a dogma to some kind of tribe. And every tribe, no matter how generous, benign, loving and charitable, nonetheless looks down on all the other tribes. What's dragging us down, he says, is religious faith. Um... I would say that for the sake of human progress, the best thing we could possibly do would be to diminish to the point of eliminating religious faiths. And that's all in the New Scientist. So that's good to see some heavy, well, anti-theism, I guess. Scott, appearing in a scientific
1: mag? It is anti-theism, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, it's no longer just, you know, atheism. It is Hmm. anti-theism. It's... Really hard not to agree with him. (laughs) You know, it is really hard not to agree with him. It's dead right. Good
0: to see. Um, The Dalai Lama, I think, uh, last week, I think we were talking about, I was talking to the 12th man about the Pope and just the nonsense he comes out with, meaningless Mm. stuff. The Dalai Lama has come out and said, the time has come for us to consider seriously how to change our way of life. Not through prayer or religious teaching, but through education. Regarding the terrible terrorist attack in Paris last November, the Dalai Lama argued for humanist values while declaring that the problem of terrorism cannot be resolved through prayers. Um, He went on to say other things. But basically, the Dalai Lama saying, give in on the prayer business, everybody. It's not working.
1: Well, he's... Bang on the money, though, isn't it? Mm. You know, it's like our journalist friend whose name escapes me who said that, you know, uh, saying you got to pray for London is, yes. is nonsense because it's just simply giving in to what caused the bloody thing in the first place. Mm. So, mm.
0: so we're in good company there. with the Exactly. He comes out with some good stuff, the Dalai Lama.
1: Yeah, it does. It makes me wonder what his replacement's going to be like.
0: Mm. Um, maybe... Maybe um, Venerable Alex will be on the ground to see. (laughs) That's weird, isn't it? You know, having the trinkets there and, you know, presenting them to a four- or five-year-old kid and saying, recognise any of these? Oh, yes, that's mine, that's mine. Oh, those false teeth, they're mine from my previous life. It sounds open to abuse and, um, yeah. I mean, if you're a local monk and you wanted your kid selected, you could certainly... conjure up a way for that to be defeated, I would have thought.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the uh, I forget what the name is, but the guy that's got the job of going out and looking for the next Dalai Lama uh, is already alive. And ah, China arrested him. Yeah, oh, then the,
0: the next Dalai Lama is already alive because the... Car- no, no, no. Oh. The, ne- the,
1: the next Dalai Lama isn't alive yet oh. because he's still yet to be reborn and that sort of stuff when he dies. Right. But the bloke that's charged with going out and finding the next Dalai Lama... Yep the Dalai something or other. Yes. He is has been arrested by the Chinese. Right. And the Chinese have already rolled out who the next Dalai whatever it is. Right. And said, well this is the bloke that's going to tell you who your next Dalai Lama is. Right. So he's in the pockets of the Chinese and they'll have a gun to his head and saying, Right, these are your alternatives. Yeah. <laughs> you choose one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
0: How are they going to choose a suitable four-year-old that they know is going to back the communist party? Anyway,
1: uh, because he'll be he'll be, he'll be raised in that sort of stuff and told what he has to say.
0: See, it it might all work to the advantage of the real Dalai Lama if, in fact, um, he's a young kid in a Chinese jail, and he is then visited by the first guy who says, "Ah, oh, found you. There you are. I wouldn't have found him if he wasn't in jail." <laughs> It could all be necessary as part of a bigger scheme. Yeah. Scott, there's uh, a reason why so many evangelicals find Donald Trump irresistible.
1: And yeah. This article I read this. makes
0: the <laughs> case that there's a lot of similarities between Donald Trump and uh, Yahweh, Jehovah, uh, the God of the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, and that would be why evangelicals uh, like Donald Trump. So some of the uh, characteristics that they have in common, dear listener, uh, he is powerful and he wants us to know all about it. Sounds like the Trump and mm-hmm. the Old Testament God. He's an insatiable attention seeker. Uh, yep, sounds like the Old Testament God. Tick. Yep. <laughs> uh, he's mean, uh, Trump and God there. Uh, he's racist and prejudiced. Uh, he's he demeans women, uh, he's bellicose and vindictive, and his statements contradict facts and each other. And here's the good one, it's the last one. He's wildly rich and he promises to make you rich too if you follow him. So, <laughs> which would account for both of them. So uh, the article has got details as to why God... Uh, has all of those traits. The God of the Old Testament, for example, um, where we said he's racist and prejudiced. It quotes part of Leviticus, um, where uh, God doesn't have anything to do with people with blemishes or are blind or lame or blah blah blah. So this backs up backs up for all those um, statements about the Old Testament God, but we've got a pretty idea that that's all true. Um... Scott, we are up to eight patrons on Patreon. No, really? Thank you, Sean, Alex, Jason, Elsa, John, Craig, Janelle and Al. Al, of course, thank you for your regular introduction with your Morgan Freeman impersonation. <laughs> I love it every time I hear it. makes us sound professional, at least for a few seconds. It does, seconds. yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, dear listener, how are you listening to this show? Because... Some people just click on a link via Facebook or go to the website. But the easiest thing is to find a podcast app and subscribe and they'll automatically be downloaded onto your phone every week when we produce one. So if you're doing this a difficult way, through Facebook clicking and through the website clicking or through an email... Just get yourself an app. There's an iPhone, there's one automatically there and you can download it. There's instructions on the website, but it'll just make it a lot easier for you if you um, if you use an app. You use an app, Scott?
1: Oh, I do use an yeah. app, yes. Mm. I've just opened it right now actually. There you go. So. so you can
0: download it uh, when you've got Wi-Fi and you don't use any of your mobile phone bandwidth and it'll come through automatically. So Right. Um Article: We haven't spoken. We haven't come across this one, uh, anything from John Menadue for a while. And let's talk Indonesia, Scott, because
1: yeah, Ahok. A-Hok lost lost the election. Yeah, mm. it's scary. yeah, he lost the election. It was um, it was not um, un- it was not unexpected that he would lose, mm. but um, it was still disappointing that he lost. Uh, you know, he had. Um, he had held the city and that sort of stuff for however many years it was. At least three, okay. I think. Maybe yeah. longer.
0: Yeah. The consensus um, is, by all the experts, that um, this wasn't because he was doing a bad job as uh, in the role. It was no, all it, about race the, and religion. And
1: exactly, yeah. And, you know, Tim Lindsay makes the point, you just excuse me... Uh, but it's not just a religion that attracted such vicious opposition, although some ethnic Chinese have served in appointed positions, including in cabinet, none have been elected to high office in Indonesia. This made a a lightning rod for racist attacks. Mm. Now, Indonesia has a Chinese minority, and they have the mm. Indonesian majority, mm. and the Chinese minority do actually cop it mm. quite a lot. And Ahok was a little bit um, unusual because, one, he was a Christian and, two, he was Chinese. Mm. And he was uh, unusual to win the elections that he did win. Mm.
0: Um, One of my friends had spent a lot of time in Indonesia. And we were talking about it six months, 12 months ago. And he was saying, look... You know, the power of the Muslims will really just be confined to Aceh and the other islands will not have a bar of it and the military won't. And they all like having a beer and having a cosmopolitan way of life that they do and they they won't put up for this. And I contacted him last week and said, have you seen this result and you still think the same way? And he's quite shocked. He was like... Um, yeah, he was very shocked at what had happened. And, um, oh, Scott, that's... Well,
1: I wasn't shocked when, you know, when when he when he was first um, charged with blasphemy.
0: Yeah, well,
1: yeah. And you had those, those protests. They were hundreds of thousands of people who were shutting the, the city down. Oh. You know, that was a very, very large number of people were out protesting. Oh. So I'm not surprised that it happened, but... You know he's now got a he's now got a has he been convicted yet of the
0: no um, funny system they have there um, prior to con- prior to a decision the prosecution actually dis- um, submits to the judge what penalty they would like imposed so here in Australia you you run the trial and only if the person is guilty you then come back and talk about. Sentencing. But over there, they talk about sentencing even before deciding whether they're guilty or not. And the mm. prosecution went for a relatively light home detention sort of thing, which indicates they don't think they've got the great case. But, um, so yeah, no, it hasn't been decided yet. Still yet to come. But um, mm. even well, if he is hope
1: that, found Let's hope guilt, he's not convicted. Yes. You know, it's... It would be nice if he wasn't convicted, but it won't change the election result. Yeah. It, um...
0: But, you know, so often Indonesia is put forward as an example of, you know, Islam and democracy uh, happily coexisting together. Mm. <laughs> give it another
1: 10 years, Scott. and really, Well, you know. I, I, I do hope you're wrong, but, I mean, it was ridiculous when um, Benjamin Netanyahu came down here. Because he was on board an L-hour flight, it had to go around Indonesia, yeah. land and refuel in 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 Singapore, yeah. and take off and come back down to Australia. Yeah, because yeah. it couldn't go, it couldn't pass through Indonesian airspace. Yeah, it couldn't go
0: through an Islamic country.
1: Yeah. Exactly, it's yeah. madness, isn't it? He, he
0: was taking the route that you and I will need to take if we ever go that way. <laughs> 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 uh. No, it's a worry that one. Okay, we'll keep our well, eye it is a, that eye on
1: that It is a worry because it is it is our near neighbour. It is the it is the world's largest, most populous Muslim nation, and that sort of stuff. And it is a near neighbour to us. Mm. If, and you know, Bali's an unofficial colony of Australia. You know,
0: well, I've never been. I'm never going. But if you like, you know, a cold beer in Bali, then you know, go quick and go now because in well, ten or fifteen those- years' time,
1: it could could might all be off. <laughs> That's very true. It could well be all off. Mm. You never know. I mean, like, it's... Um, although Malaysia, I mean, that was a Muslim-majority country and that sort of stuff, and I had no problem getting a beer there. Right, So yeah. it was easy enough. Yeah. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. You're excused. Right-wing
0: Tony mentioned the Islamic State making its way to oh, the Philippines.
1: Yes. And I've got... Once we get through this, I've got to agree with him on something that he said too. Oh, <laughs> Okay.
0: So this is only quick. It's just that uh, a leader of is an Islamic State-linked group uh, just got shot and killed in the Philippines in a shootout. So they're definitely active there in the Philippines, and they are um, basically capturing uh, Westerners and holding them for ransom and stuff like that. So... So the Islamic, Islamic State is actually active uh, in the Philippines. So not that I doubted right-wing Tony, but that uh, that's further evidence. You're going to he agree with him on something, that, Scott? Yeah,
1: I did actually. And right-wing Tony, I, I don't often agree with you, but I did agree really? with you when you uh, made the point that uh, the best thing we should do is arm both sides and we'll talk to whoever's left standing. Oh, right. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, then what do you disagree with right-wing Tony about then?
0: <laughs> When you say you don't often <laughs> agree with him, what do you?
1: What, what? Can't imagine there's anything you disagree with. <laughs> no, it is. Uh, he's he's right. He he said that you know the, the most important thing to do is to stand on the sidelines and let it happen and that sort of stuff. And we'll talk to whoever's left standing.
0: We definitely should be on the sidelines. And yeah, uh,
1: yeah. I mean, I. I I probably on both sides, and we'll talk to whoever's left standing. But it's—I uh, I do think he is right. I think we have to stay out of it, and I do think yeah. that um, if they're left to ba- if they're left to bash it out amongst themselves, they will—they will find a way forward. It, but mm. if you've got the intervention of Western world and that sort of stuff in there, then they're not going to sort it out themselves. They'll just be—they'll just be mm. a continuation of of the war and that sort of stuff for generations.
0: Mm. mm. I agree. Actually I don't think the twelfth man does. He's twelfth man's
1: inclined to step in and do something there and he, he wants it's to. it's very um, hard when you do see the pictures of kids and that sort of stuff have been gassed. That is really hard to sit there yeah. and say, you know and that little boy that was pulled out of the rubble and that sort of stuff, you know, when he when he had blood on his forehead and that sort of stuff, he was in the back of the of the of the ambulance. Yeah. That's really hard to sit back and say, Well, yeah. it's not our business. But mm. I do think it has to be our. I do think it has to be, you know, their problem, not ours. Mm.
0: Empathy is a dangerous thing if you're wanting to make rational decisions. So, um, I read this book recently. I think I might have mentioned it. Um, yeah, you did Against mention it, yeah. empathy by Paul Bloom, and yeah, because that had in there this thing where people were um, were told. Um, about a little girl and who was waiting for surgery and that they had the ability to move her up the queue presumably ahead of other equally deserving children Um, one group they encouraged them to empathise and and imagine that they're the parents and they're the girl and and another group they they didn't do the same empathy encouragement and of course the ones who empathised um... 60% of them wanted her to move up the queue. And that could be just a totally unfair decision because presumably all the other people in the queue were equally deserving. So, uh, you just, you know, empathy just focuses you on one person or a small group and you can easily discriminate against others more, you know, more or equally deserving. And uh, it's a dangerous thing if you're trying to be a rational decision maker to have um, too much empathy. Um, yeah, I mean head, it's it so. is
1: ridiculous what yeah. I suppose we have to be oh, I don't know what you do about the refugees and that sort of stuff. I do think we have to somehow make a uh, some sort of accommodation for them, but it is it is madness how many people have been let into Germany and that sort of stuff, and I do think it's only a matter of time before Angela Merkel, <coughs> excuse me, regrets her decision there. It is only a matter of time. But it is, um, Mm. you know... Mm. And, you know, we shall see what happens in the French elections and that sort of stuff, which are Mm. shaping up to be an interesting fight, so... mm.
0: Yeah. If you didn't think the world was crazy (coughs) enough, um, the UN uh, has a commission on the status of women. And as you would expect, the commission is the principal global intergovernmental body exclusively dedicated to the promotion of gender equality and the empowerment of women. And, dear listener, what better country to admit to that, you know, to be a member of that commission than Saudi Arabia. When I
1: first read these reports yep. a couple of weeks ago on Facebook and that sort of stuff, a week or so ago, I thought to myself, this has got to be a joke. And then you go through it and you no. find out that it's not a joke. It is absolutely crazy that you've got a, you know, we're amongst, the, we're, we're listed on that second page. It was a secret ballot, but the math tells us at least 15 of these member states of the UN Economic and Social Council voted to elect Saudi Arabia to the UN's Women's Right Commission, you know, Argentina, Australia, Belgium. I hope that we didn't vote for them. Because if we did, then that is a slap in the face to the women of Saudi Arabia. You know, it, it's absolutely amazing. Um, you know, and there's a. No, it wouldn't it's be true, the first time it we've is, slapped women in the face. It's anyway. utterly infuriating that you've got a situation that Saudi Arabia could get elected and to be on that. I mean, are they going to be able to have meetings in the room with women? You know, are they going to insist that only men come into the meeting? It's absolutely incredible. Mm. And then there was this um, tweet from KH Oz. uh, I wish I could find the words Mm. to express how I feel right now. I'm Saudi and this feels like betrayal. And she's right. It is a betrayal. You know, they Mm. they did not deserve to get nominated to it. And they've been elected to it. I, I found that incredible. That a country that will not let women drive, that will not let women go outside unless they are f- properly covered, and they cannot go outside if they're, if they're not accompanied by uh, a male guardian. I find that... Mm. <laughs> mm.
0: I've got a solution to this whole UN issue. Yeah. Scott? Because... You know, on a lot of things like recently, we talked about, you know, America bombing Syria. And it was like, well, it would be nice if you got, you know, permission of the UN before doing it. And of course, that's never going to happen because of the various veto powers and just the knuckleheads that are in the UN. So we need an alternative UN. So I think we should just abandon the UN and say we're going to have a new group. And We often see studies where countries are ranked on various things in terms of uh, their attitudes to women and uh, level of democracy. And there's all sorts of um, criteria that countries are ranked on now. Pew Research does lots of this sort of stuff. And I reckon you could set some benchmarks for basically good corporate behaviour by governments and you would say... We're going to survey people at random in these countries and you've got to reach level X. And if you do, welcome aboard. <laughs> you can join our, our UN of civilised countries. And if you don't meet the criteria, you don't, get, you don't get a vote. And then we could say on issues like Syria or whatever, we could say, well, we've now got actually a bunch of countries that are practicing civilization and have got reasonable things to say and will vote and say whether things can be sh- should be done or not and then we won't have these crazy countries like saudi arabia yeah. involved what do you think a new un based on objective criteria that a country has to pass in order to maintain its membership of the the un of Where civilized
1: <laughs> I don't care. My vote would be Sweden or Switzerland because they are they're two neutral countries. I, I, so yeah, Sweden or Switzerland. But
0: uh oh, I'd have to think about that one. Let me. Well, they both. Th- let me think about it. Well, you know what? Why? Why even have a? Why you don't even have, have headquarters a headquarters? Oh, hmm. Let me think about that one. Yeah, you got to have a headquarters. You got to. You got to have some public servants doing something. But um. I oh, hell! It happened in Australia because we thought of it, or at least I did. There we go. But there's a solution. We need. We should just pull out. Honestly, we should just pull out of the UN and say it's a stupid organisation. Mm. Um, we're going to do something else and take yeah, exactly. a whole bunch of yeah. countries with us. Another item on the agenda for a iron fist government. Um, I tell you, one country that will have to pull up its boots if it's going to uh, get membership of the new un um scott will be the united states of america because those guys have got some issues happening over there and uh on on any number of fronts just back to the un thing mainly because of the the amount of war that they are Mm. they're conducting all the time Mm. they're just in a permanent state of war the um uh the usa um but anyway This article titled, America is Regressing into a Developing Nation for Most People. And there's a new book out by Peter Temin. It says the US is no longer one country, but it's divided into two separate economic and political worlds. You've got a rich 20% and a poor 80%. And, um, uh, used this model that was created by a guy called Lewis in, um, sort of uh, as a criteria or a checklist of what would make a developing country and uh, and applies it to see whether these things are happening in the US to say, well, you could say the US is now a developing country. In the Lewis model of a dual economy, much of the low wage sector has little influence over public policy. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be a check. The high-income sector will keep wages down in the other sector to provide cheap labour for its business. Check. Social control is used to keep the low-wage sector from challenging the policies favoured by the high-income sector. And that would be a check. And you've got mass incarceration in the US as an example of that. And the primary goal of the richest members of the high-income sector is to lower taxes. Check. And social and economic mobility is low. Check. So these are all the features of a tin-pot
1: Latin
0: American struggling developing country. And you could uh, say that they're applying to the the United States. Um, In developing countries, people try to move from the low-wage sector to the affluent sector by transplanting from rural areas to the city to get a job. In the US, the equivalent of that would be education. But that's getting very difficult because people are having to spend lots of money, and it's getting more expensive uh, by the day. So, um, so yeah. So if we were to have our U- our new United Nations of civilized countries, uh, there's a chance the U.S. would slip out. When you talk about things like, oh, the other things would be, um, you know, infant mortality and stuff like that. I mean, they're way down the list. Um, if we're developing these criteria, they well, they might the have a few on that, problems.
1: The, the picture up there that was uh, accompanying this was really disturbing because there's six or seven kids there that are sharing desks. You know, mm. and these are desks that you've got a seat yes. and everything attached to. So there's two kids trying to fit on one seat. It is now that's clearly a poor school. Mm. Now I found that ridiculous mm. because. Even over here in Australia where you've got differences between private schools and public schools all the public schools are basically at the same sort of level you know there is some minor differences um, like you know the state high and that sort of stuff's probably got better equipment and that sort of stuff than Cooper Secondary College but they are basically on the same sort of level but over here this you know this. This doesn't look like the sort of schools that you'd see in um, Beverly Hills, nine hundred two one zero. You know, <laughs> it is it is really mm. disturbing that they've allowed their public education system mm. to fall this far down. And it goes on to say, mm. um, if they go to college, they finance it by going heavily into debt. They're not thinking about the future; they're focused on surviving the present. The world in which they reside is very different from the one they taught to believe in. While members of the First Country Act, these people are acted upon. And that is a very disturbing uh, sentiment that's been raised by the author. And it is um, it is accurate. Uh. It is incredibly unfortunate that the U.S. has allowed the, their great middle class to just evaporate the way they have you know and it's uh, it's, it's uh, sorry to cut you off but it's, uh, if you look back on the history of the middle uh, classes and that sort of stuff it goes back to the 1950s when the working classes were heavily unionized <laughs> and when you had taxes the top marginal tax rate was 90 cents in the dollar you know and yet these is the days that the neocons of the modern republican party do look back on with some sort of favor you know they do look back on it and that sort of stuff, and they and mm. they they try to make out that there was grand old days. Well, if there were grand old days, you should be arguing for ninety percent tax rate.
0: Mm. The thing about those days was that um, manual mm. labour was required. You know the uh, the car making manufacturing sector yeah, needed men on the floor, mm. bashing bits of metal together. Which yeah. those jobs are they- disappearing and the uh the the thing that is valuable now is you know iq and intelligence is now uh, more than ever in our history a valuable commodity that can really take people um to amazing levels whereas you know before you know you could have been brilliant but you had to still Mm. play the field and get a crop of corn in but uh Brilliant people today can really leverage that brilliance and and scoot up the stratosphere of 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 socio economic status. And dear listener, if you uh, sometimes listen to the Sam yeah, Harris Waking Up um, yeah. podcast, then he's got a great he's got a great one this week where he talks to Charles Murray, who. Uh, wrote The Bell Curve and Coming Apart. And he just tells us really interesting um, analysis, basically, where uh, intelligence IQ is now the thing that you need for making lots of money and, um, and that the American system is set up because the top universities are a meritocracy in the sense that really smart people go there. Um, uh, you know, the top 1% of students end up in places like Harvard. And guess what? You know, girls and guys meet each other at university, end up getting married. And when you've got two really smart people Mm -hmm. who decide to have kids, their kids Mm -hmm. are going to be really Mm -hmm. smart and perhaps even smarter. And they will then end up at Harvard and they'll meet the sons and daughters of other really, really smart people. And... Uh, it's just a system set up that is just creating this super elite class of really smart, well-connected people yeah. who are just going to be in charge of everything. And, um, uh, yeah, we're, we're really in... Well, they're certainly in danger of having massive inequalities, and that's partly by accident through a meritocracy education system which on the face of it seems like a fair way of running things but it's actually going to create a very unusual sort of stratification of people in the community so anyway I'd read Coming Apart oh, a year or two ago uh, very interesting and if you're interested in that idea um, mm, it was very good I listened to it on Monday good. so yeah. hmm Um, oh, a couple of things I didn't tell you about Scott, but one would be it's not often that I will agree (laughs) with Scott Morrison, but you know, stranger things have happened, drum roll, please. (laughs) Because I am in favor of putting GST on goods worth less than a thousand dollars as they come into Australia, so um, and he is saying to people like Amazon and eBay, well, if an Australian orders something from you, you've got to whack an extra 10% on it and put that all in the bank and send us a check once a month, thank you very much, and collect the tax for us. And Amazon and eBay are saying, oh, no, 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 it's too difficult for us, we can't possibly do it. How about, it would be much easier if we just send the goods and then your Australia Post can ascertain the value and collect the tax from people Mm. and blah, blah, blah. Like, what a joke. And Scott Morrison apparently is pushing ahead with this vendor model. And that, to me... Sounds a great solution, and it sounds like he's pushing for it. And it's just, <laughs> I think it's the first time ever, Scott, that I will agree with Scott well, Morrison.
1: Uh, I mean, I couldn't agree with him on the uh, changes to superannuation to allow people to use that to get into the housing market. That was, it was, no, it, it was, it no, was, it that's was completely, completely bonkers, nutters, yeah.
0: but yeah, yeah. Are you in favor of living yeah, in mean, I mean, on wasn't small at purchases first and
1: that sort of stuff because of the whole how mm. you collect it and that sort of stuff. However, mm. I mean eBay and that sort of stuff it's a little bit tougher because you've got to you know you you know that you've got all these little it's a flea market of different ideas of different sellers and that sort of stuff so you're going to be dealing with each of them individually. Mm. So that's a little bit tougher. But Hmm. Amazon, that sort of stuff, I don't think that's too difficult. I mean, I would have thought that uh, they could collect the GST and they could send it to us, yeah.
0: Okay, Scott. Well, uh, I reckon we're probably somewhere close to our one-hour mark. So, yeah. So, um, and we've rattled through them. So there you go, dear listener. Thank you um, once again, all our patrons. Thank you for listening and uh, have you got ideas or suggestions? By all means, send them through. We love a bit of feedback. Occasionally, we get a little bit of fan <laughs> mail saying, "Well done, guys!" So, thank you very much. All right, well, thank Cheers. you, dear listener. Fine. We'll be back again next week. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends